Well, so, um, on Monday, Christine gave us um, the story of the Bible uh, that's uh, from a, a discipline that we would call biblical theology, wants to look at the sort of the overall narrative of Scripture and, and trace ideas through it. Um, and today, I'm going to kind of take us through a different discipline, uh, which we call systematic theology, where you kind of look at one very narrow topic in Scripture and tease it out. Um, and so today we're looking at assurance. Um, so some some questions that might come to mind for you um, when it comes to salvation and faith um, is things like, what is assurance of salvation? Is it a feeling that you have? Is it some sort of guarantee? Uh, is assurance something that every Christian has or just some? Like, that there's these, these sorts of questions kind of come up for people when uh, you, you mention assurance. And so um, I'm going to kind of hopefully help us navigate those questions um, as we um, go through the content today. Um, so there's, there's kind of a, a few points on your handout there. Um, and... Um, the, the idea of today is to, in a sense, let you um, get hit by the wave of theology um, so that you can kind of take away some of the impact of it. Um, yeah, so like at the beach, just getting knocked over by a wave. That's all right. Um, you don't need to, like, remember all of this in your brain forever, like it's the only time you're ever going to hear this. Um, so if, if you're not following, feel free to ask questions, um, but also don't worry if it's... It's a bit dense or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, assurance is a really important but rarely discussed doctrine for Christians. Who knows what I mean when I say doctrine? Does anyone know what doctrine means? It's kind of like the core ideas that Christians hold to. It's like the central ideas of our faith. That's what doctrine is. Um, the... Um, and so assurance is one of those core doctrinal ideas. Um, it describes the confidence that we, the Christian, has that we're in the right standing with God, uh, which will ultimately result in our eternal salvation. Um, and assurance is what Protestants, uh, one of what Protestants will call the doctrines of grace. Uh, it's just a fancy way of saying biblical truths that describe how God saves us. And so, assurance sits under a theological discipline called soteriology. So, very, very quickly. Um, theology is kind of like another word for doctrine, right? So, doctrine and theology, almost interchangeable. Um, but theology is sort of the... Um, it's not only Christian, but generally Christian... Um, discipline of talking about our faith. Um, and the way this word kind of works, in Greek, theo means God, or theos, um, and logos means word, idea, knowledge. And so the way this word works is basically it's just saying knowledge of God. That's what theology means. But we've kind of abstracted it to mean all of Christian thinking about God and faith and stuff. So there's theology proper, thinking about God, God, and there's theology G, 
general, which is thinking about all the things that kind of flow out from believing in God. And so then out of that, you've got other ologies. You've got things like Christology, which is fairly self-evident. Um, uh, an understanding of, of the Christ. Um, we've got things like hamartiology, which is less self-evident. Hamartiology is the doctrine of sin. Uh, and then today, we're looking at soteriology, um, which is doctrine of salvation. Uh, and that kind of sits under Christology, actually, Mike and I were kind of talking about where does it fit? It's all very complicated. Um, but soteriology uh, talks about salvation, and in particular today, that sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-discipline of salvation we're looking at today is assurance. There's all sorts of like little, little categories that sit under Christology, soteriology, and we're just looking at one. So that's kind of how systematic theology works. Um, so if you hear all these ology words in Christian circles, uh, it means that you're looking at a sub-discipline of Christian faith. Um, so I'm going to pass this back to Dave. Sticky notes are for writing questions to put up on the board across today, not just from this session. Cool. So, um, why is assurance important? Well, I, like, I mean, that might be self-evident. It's really important for me to know that I'm saved. Duh. Um, but as a doctrine, although these doctrines have been held by Christians uh, and discussed within Christianity since the apostles, the doctrines of grace had a really significant place in the Protestant Reformation. Does everyone know what I'm talking about when I say the Protestant Reformation? Yeah? Okay. Um, prior to the Reformation, the church was putting heaps and heaps of emphasis on good works um, buying indulgences, which is just a really fancy way of saying the church sold junk to make lots and lots and lots of money for the church. Um, and that was like people trying to buy salvation by buying this junk. Um, and the sacraments being things like baptism, um, taking the Lord's Supper, stuff like that, as a means of securing one's own salvation. So if I uh, do lots of good works, if I pay money to the church by buying these things, like little icons that for, for some reason people thought that would give them salvation, uh, and I take the Lord's Supper every day, then I'll be saved. Um, and so it was the church that actually ultimately determined someone's salvation. If you're in by doing these things, then you're saved. Um, but the big theological issue of the Reformation was how are we justified? That is, in, in terms of justice, how are we made in right standing with God? Um, and the Reformers taught that we are justified by grace alone. Um, and that's through Christ alone. So, by grace alone through Christ alone, by faith alone, to the glory of God alone, and on the authority of Scripture alone. These five things were called five solas. Um, sola is a Latin word for only. So the five onlys of uh, salvation. 
five solas of the Reformation. And that really undermined the status quo when it came to the way the church was teaching. Um, and uh, really sort of undermined this idea that the church could declare you as someone who is going to be saved. And so people were just going, well, if you're ripping all that out, how do I know? How do I know I'm going to be saved? And so at that point, the doctrine of assurance became really important. It had kind of been lost in a sense and, and now needed to be returned. So in an environment where the whole tradition of how you understand salvation is being turned on its head, committed Christians were saying, how do I know I'm saved? What evidence is there that I'm saved? And was I sincere when I made a profession of faith? And without the biblical idea of assurance, uh, we can be left with all sorts of anxiety about our true standing before God. And it can change how we relate to God and relate to one another. And it even causes us to misunderstand the gospel. So here's some questions as we kick off to mull over with the person next to you. If there's not a person next to you, um, find one. Um, Maybe just like create yourself a person next to you. Um, And discuss one of these questions. What are some reasons we might question our own salvation? If someone asks you, how can you be sure you're saved? What would you say? And why is depending on your own actions for your assurance appealing? Go at it. Mm. Let's right out. Dave? Um, you got okay. 10 seconds. We did question one. We did, yes, we did do question one. Um, and one of the thoughts raised was um, seeing uh, our friends who are Christian, who were Christian, not be Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. Makes us go, well, did they even believe in the first place? Are they still believers, but just not practicing yet? And so yeah. it makes us question our salvation. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, anyone else? We talked about question three um, and looked at the idea that doing things is physical, like it's obvious and it's measurable, and we also like to be able to know that we deserve whatever we receive. Mm. And so we don't like necessarily holding on to something that could be taken away because we don't deserve it. Cool. Yeah. Andy. I didn't discuss anything, but the first thought that comes, <laughs> comes to mind with question three for me is just control. Mm. Like I, I've just got control over it. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Cool. Some good ideas. Uh, if anyone else wants to share at some other point, that's fine. Okay, so, well, now you've had like a, a bit of a taste. Uh, we're going to jump into point one. So that's assurance in the gospel. How can our ultimate salvation be certain? So assurance is all about certainty, right? The doctrine of assurance is, this is quite a dense sentence, all right? So just like tune your ears. The doctrine of assurance is established by the historical and definitive finished work of Christ on the cross. So we have salvation because of what Christ achieved in his death. He took him upon himself God's judgment, which we deserved, and putting our sin to death, and his resurrection, raising us with himself from death to life. And so this reality of the cross underpins, it's the foundation of the doctrines of grace, uh, and is so the foundation of assurance. And so um, 
yeah, it's it's all about the finished, definitive finished work of Christ on the cross. All right. Now, the scriptural basis for assurance, just as the doctrine of the Trinity is biblical, but the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, uh, in the same way, doctrine of assurance is profoundly biblical, but it doesn't really have like a one single word that we point to that encompasses the idea. So we need to go digging for the vibe of assurance, all right? Um, so uh, in pairs, again, I guess, um, <clears throat> pick one of the passages that's in that little box, uh, 1 Peter, John, Romans, um, and there's also 2 Timothy one twelve, but it's not in your box. Don't worry about that. Yeah, just pick one of the, the Bible passages and, and have a look um, at the language used. What kind of language do we hear coming out of these passages that kind of jives with assurance? I can't believe I just used that word. <laughs> Very dense theological. Yeah. Down here? You guys looked at Romans? Yeah, yeah. We saw a lot of neither and nors, like, like when, when it came to, like, things... Um, in terms of like just anything in life can affect our relationship, I guess. What can um, that can separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord? Like, there's a lot of knots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the Romans one is a bit tricky because he's like asking rhetorical questions, mm-hmm. right? But what seems to be the the overall impression he's giving? He's comparing what Christ has done. To anything else, yeah, and saying that nothing else stands up against nothing else. What Jesus has mm. done for us, yeah. And I made the comment that one time I was reading through that and added in nothing else in all the creation, not even me. <laughs> can yeah, us. yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, um, did anyone else look at Romans? Yeah, yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts? Uh, we were talking about how it uses repetition to really get the point home. It tells you multiple mm. times because it's so important. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, really wants to hammer it home. Okay, uh, did anyone else look at the 1 Peter one? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, we talked about the certainty of the language, so never unfading, unperishing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And anyone look at the John passage? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, well, with, it says there... Um, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And we looked at a parallel verse in 1 John 5, which says the same thing. <coughs> yeah, so... Um, it's a lot like promises in there. Uh, like, and again, using that same language, the certainty of language. Right? But, um, I will never drive away when it comes to me, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, uh, things like, uh, I, shall lo- I shall lose none. Of all those he has given me, like there's there's sort of a clear uh, clear promise there. Yeah, so it's really decisive language, isn't it? The Bible's really clear on this kind of stuff. Um, scripture makes clear that God will never let go of those whom He has made right with Him. He'll preserve us, uh, and that what He's given us in Christ will never be taken from us. Now, when it comes to assurance. And the Christian life, uh, there's another concept called perseverance. 
that kind of comes into play. And these perseverance and assurance are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? So um, in our current time and place, assurance and perseverance might look like the same thing and have the same goal of eternal salvation in mind. Um, but assurance, it's got the end in mind, all right? Assurance is being sure about the final, uh, final view of things. Well, perseverance is kind of our current perspective, uh, the current period, our current process of getting to the end, all right? Um, so in reality, it's actually Jesus that underpins both these ideas. Jesus is the basis of our assurance. Jesus is also the means of our perseverance. Because um, as we see in, in the John passage, like uh, Jesus will lose none of those that he's he's been given. He will he will persevere us. Uh, and the reason the scripture can put this so boldly is because everything about our salvation is a gift from God. Everything. By grace through faith. So if our salvation depended upon ourselves or some element of our decision, then there would actually be no ground for assurance. Uh, our, our assurance is outside of ourselves, as Leah was saying. It's outside of ourselves. Extra nos is the, the Latin that got used in the Reformation for this. Outside of ourselves in the work of Jesus Christ. And it's as we receive the gift of salvation by faith from him that we also receive assurance. So, uh, assurance and faith. It's been a bit of an argument in the Protestant church, um, especially around the idea of assurance as the essence of faith. It's kind of a technical uh, discussion that happened. Um, John Calvin, one of the famous reformers, uh, he said that faith and assurance were inseparable, describing faith as a firm and certain knowledge of God's kindness to us in the promise of Christ, confirmed by the Spirit. Uh, and that's very similar to Hebrews 11, verse 1, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, and so we can draw together how assurance is given to the believer like this. Uh, so this is a really another dense summary. Um, but uh, yeah, bear with me. It's written on your page there, I think. If assurance is the essence of faith, then assurance is coupled to faith as an inherent quality. Given that faith is a gift from God as the spirit enables hearing of the word preached that applies the gospel to the heart. The Christian's assurance is also spirit-given and cannot be influenced, enhanced, or diminished. As a Christian possesses true faith, the Christian also possesses everything they need for the fullness of assurance. So, uh, here's a discussion to have for the person next to you. How might you answer someone who says, Jesus got me in, but now I need to keep myself in? Okay, so the summary of this kind of first point is that assurance and faith go hand in hand. And because we have true faith, we have assurance that God will preserve us to eternal life. And secondly, our assurance is not affected by anything we or anyone else can do. Okay? That's how the Bible talks about it. However, is that how we experience it? Point two, assurance and our experience. 
Someone might say, you tell me that I have assurance in the gospel, but I just don't feel all that sure. So our discussion so far, it's been looking at the foundation of our assurance, something that's sure and secured by Jesus' work on the cross and is ours by faith. Assurance is spoken of in this way um, as something outside ourselves. We might call this objective assurance. Okay? But so often we f- might find ourselves feeling entirely unconfident. Uh, you know, we might have had friends who have fallen away. Uh, we might have had uh, times where we question if we've actually made a, a true faith commitment. The real, so the question is, do real Christians really have doubts? Is having doubts a sign that I'm not saved? Tricky questions. The question that we want answered is not so much, how do I know that Christ has died for people's sins and that he will save all who believe in him? The question that we really want asked is, how do I know that I have truly believed that Christ has died for? So, the subjective experience of assurance. Uh, Let me just see what's available on your handout. Sweet. Okay, cool. So the Bible is full of rich truths, spiritual realities, which we hold on to as we continue on in the Christian life. Um, but often we don't experience the fullness of those spiritual realities. Um, so, for example, there are ones like uh, we know that we are made clean by Jesus' blood, but often we feel uh, we often sin and we feel wretched, right? Like, I know that I'm clean by Jesus' blood, but gosh, I just feel like a total fraud, right? Um, We know that we're part of God's kingdom, um, but it doesn't always feel like Jesus is actually ruling the world, right? Um, We know that God is going to restore creation, but at the moment, the climate is declining. Uh, Our world is uh, losing... um, Species of animals, right, left, and center. Uh, things are de- getting dirtier. Like, things just keep getting worse. We're not moving toward a restored creation, are we? So, there are all these profound spiritual truths in the Bible, but we don't always feel them to their fullness. Um, and it's the same thing with, with assurance, right? Sometimes it doesn't feel like we can be sure of our salvation. But in these moments, we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit speaking uh, to our spirit, and the encouragement of Scripture to look closely at our own lives, and then we can get some confirmation. So we've already seen in point one that God holds on to those who are His, right? And that if we have exercised true faith, then we have assurance of salvation. If we're unsure, what should that do? It should drive us to prayer and deepen our commitment to depend on God in all things. If God's the only one that can keep us in, then ask the one that can do that to help you. Yet, the Bible also tells us to look at ourselves, to test whether we're in the faith. So there is some relationship between our assurance and our life experiences. There's a personal element to our assurance. So 2 Corinthians 
13.5 says, and this is written on your handout, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. It's really important to hold together both an objective theological foundation of assurance and a truly personal, applicable evidence of faith. Not because what we do establishes our salvation or contributes to our assurance, but as we look at the evidences of grace in our lives, we can see how assurance is ours personally. So in pairs, again, um, discuss the following passage together. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. I'm going to read it out, and then you can go to discuss it together. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promise, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if any of you do not have them, you are nearsighted and blind. You have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So, discuss with the person next to you this passage. Um, and maybe a question to help your discussion. How might you help a friend who has told you that they're unsure of if they're a true Christian or not? Okay, what kind of thoughts have we, have we got? Dave? Um, I was going to say, um, as we like experience further and further like Christ and things like that, the forefront of our minds, the more, the easier it is to kind of, uh, kind of assure in ourselves that the truths that have been, the objective truths which have been um, relayed onto us, um, but as we're living in sin, no matter how true the objective truths are it's harder to identify with them yeah and so the, the push to to practice good works is good for the soul especially when it concerns having us experiencing that our subjective assurance yeah and so in that sense we're kind of talking about fruit of your faith right like faith kind of wells up these things in us which gives gives us a feeling of uh, of continuing on in the faith, right? Any other any other thoughts? Uh, we talked a little bit about how it can be difficult for some people to spot these fruits in their own lives, mm -hmm. and so it can be that you need to provide an outside perspective to help point out to them how how their life has been changed by being 
Christ. Yeah. And so actually the um, the fellowship of the church is actually a really great sort of means of, of grace for one another as we're able to point that out to each other. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so the mark of a true Christian, as 1 Peter says, is one who is established by faith. They continue to love, verse 7, to grow and bear fruit, verse 8, practice godliness and self-control, verse 6. A true Christian, by God's grace, bears fruit by the Spirit in line with their saving faith. It's a biblical fact. It's just something that happens, right? If we individually can see the presence of this fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we can be assured of a saving faith. And it's as we enjoy this subjective experience of assurance, the objective grounds of assurance, that is the gospel, becomes all the more real to us. And Romans 8, which we read earlier, it expresses it so wonderfully at like the, the objective grounds of assurance and the subjective experience of assurance interacting together. It's a picture of Christian's life in the spirit. So turn back to Romans chapter 8. And I won't read it out. We have a friend who lives around these parts. There's a few of them. Mm-hmm. And they like going for food. We're not talking about congregation members. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Romans 8. Uh, across 1 to 16, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens. So Romans 8, 1 to 4, it makes it really clear that those who are in Christ are secure in freedom from condemnation, and those who are enabled by the Spirit now walk by the Spirit, as the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead also gives life to us who are in Christ. So, these are the objective realities of the Christian's assurance. Yeah? The promises of God by the Spirit securing new life in the believer. However, this passage acknowledges that such realities are not always committed to heart and are instead exchanged uh, with fear. So in verse 15, uh, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And so it's the subjective experience of the Holy Spirit's testimony to our spirit that creates a new a confidence of promised realities. So that's verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Not only right now in the present, but into eternal glory. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So... You can kind of see there's, there's the objective and the subjective kind of married together in this passage. And it's really important to note that the subjective work of the Spirit is no less a work of God in our hearts than the objective realities of the cross to which he actually points and to which we cling, right? It's the Spirit who initiates the testimony to our spirit, yeah? It's not an emotive, self-initiated confidence that we have. No, it's the Holy Spirit working to testify to our hearts. 
We are in all things dependent upon the Spirit who gives us new life. Yeah. So not only has God done everything that we need for assurance in the effectiveness of the gospel, Christ's work on the cross, but also as we need it, God lovingly confirms for us by the testimony of the Holy Spirit that we're his. Yeah? Isn't that wonderful? Even if we don't feel it, we can be comforted by the Spirit speaking to our spirit that we are saved. It's an awesome thing, right? You don't need to well up in yourself some sort of confidence. No, no, no. It's the Spirit that speaks to you as you hear from Him in the Word that you can be confident of your salvation. Okay, we need to smash through um, a few other points. Um, So I'm going to ditch all the discussion stuff. Um, You can answer these questions um, some other time together. All right, so assurance and good works. Question on everyone's lips. So what involvement do I have in being assured? Uh, So there was a really important thinker, Augustine, uh, in the life of the church. He felt that teaching assurance was problematic, a dangerous idea. He didn't think it was wrong, but he thought that what it was going to do is lead to ungodliness, right? People are really sure about their salvation, and they're just going to say, oh, I can do whatever I like. Paul obviously deals with that in a letter to the Romans. Um, This this high-mindedness, this sin of presumption, um, expecting or presuming upon salvation without living in repentance uh, was something that he was really concerned about. Uh, you might say we could be guilty of the sin of the Pharisee who prays, thank you, God, that I am not like that tax collector who was not justified in his piety. But true faith always bears fruit in line with the Spirit, uh, including humility and godliness. Now, uh, there's a whole bunch of scripture references there. Um, but here, let me give you John Calvin's uh, summary on the idea of the relationship between works and assurance. So Calvin says, uh, Inasmuch, therefore, that this reliance upon works has no place unless you first cast the whole confidence of your mind upon God's mercy, it ought not to seem contrary to that upon which it depends. In other words, so Calvin's saying that good works aren't contrary to salvation. I mean, that wouldn't make any sense, right? Like you're saved and therefore you go on and do bad works? I don't think so, right? Uh, So um, in the passages above, um, good works are actually... uh, So for example, Ephesians 2.10 talks about good works that have been prepared in advance of us even becoming a Christian. God has got ways in which we're going to live out our lives uh, in faith um, and obedience, Right. Um, however, we are entirely dependent upon God's mercy. And so Calvin says that reliance upon works has no place in our salvation. It's just to stand as evidence. We need to be careful not to shift the grounds of assurance from the proper foundation of God's mercy in Christ, as some have historically done, um, making a subtle error of having assurance of faith rather than assurance of salvation. All right? We don't want to make that that mistake. The risk is that we might say, I have true faith and Jesus' work has saved me, 
but my salvation is entirely dependent upon me persisting as a Christian. That's not how the Bible talks about it, all right? That's how uh, Catholicism kind of deals with it. Uh, they, they put it that way. Um, some Protestant um, uh, ideas might, uh, might say that. Um, yes, Jesus is the one that makes me saved, but I am in control over whether I'm in or out. That's not how the Bible talks about it, all right? Um, however, we do need to answer the question of falling away, all right? So, point four, falling away. What do we do with parts of the Bible that suggest that I can lose my salvation? Doesn't the Bible say that we can fall away? Is that a question that people have asked you before? You've thought about yourself before? Yeah? It's a bit of a live question. So the book of Hebrews possesses a whole range of what we call warning passages uh, that encourage the Christian to remain in the faith. So that's Hebrews 2, 1 to 4, 3, 7 to 4, 13, 5, 11 to 6, 6 to 12, uh, to 6, 12, 10, 19, 39, 12, 14, 29. Hebrews is full of it. It's kind of scattered throughout the whole of Hebrews, right? It's kind of a, a big deal in Hebrews. However, we need to be really careful to actually read the whole of Scripture together. Yeah? We need to hold on to those passages from part one that talked about the, the solid foundation of God's work in the gospel. And we need to hold these Hebrew passages together. They need to come together not allowing the difficult language of Hebrews to override our understanding from elsewhere, yeah? Um, So uh, an author I really like, um, a theologian named Don Carson, um, he helps us with this idea by explaining that Scripture actually talks about faith in a number of different ways. Uh, And so the big example for us will be the parable of the sower in Mark 4, uh, where, uh, as, as you know, the parable of the sower has um, seed that is sown on good soil, on the path, among weeds. We actually have, uh, as scriptural, this dis- different, different types of faith described. And so Carson puts forward, he says, that perseverance is the definitive mark of true faith in Hebrews. So although faith might be expressed from people that don't believe, still not necessarily saving faith in some ultimate sense, if part of the definition of saving faith is actually holding on for the whole of the Christian life. Yeah? So in the face of this challenge of persevering, Christians are exhorted in Hebrews to hold firm, to persevere with patience, endurance and some might claim that's human effort works but Carson says that the writers of the New Testament they, they, their adherence to this idea of compatibilism that is um, that as God works for our salvation God works that out in us for our salvation it's God working by our actions to bring about his means, yeah? Uh, And so in Philippians, for example, the Philippians, they're encouraged to work out their salvation 
precisely because it's God who is at work in them. Both at the level of their wills and at the level of their actions. Yeah? And so for Carson and for me, I, I ascribe to this, compatibilism bears on Christian assurance directly. Yeah? Um, as both God's faithfulness and human persevering faithfulness to God's call are they're both equally represented in Scripture. We have God's, um, as we saw, we have God's sure and certain work, but then also this this call to continue to persevere to work for our salvation. Yeah, they're both there in Scripture, and we need to be able to hold them together, not separate them out, not balance one over the other. They go together. Um, and so Carson argues that it's passages such as 2 Peter 1.10, uh, which I think we did look at. Yep. Um, that, uh, that passage evidences perseverance. Oh, that evidence of perseverance functions to incentivize commitment to Christ and continued fruitfulness. So as you kind of see... The work of God's salvation in your heart, that's going to spur you on to continue, to continue, to continue, to continue, to continue until the end. And it's God that does that work in you. So can, uh, can I answer the question of what happens when people fall away? No, I can't. Can I say it's possible that people fall away? Yes, I can, because the scripture talks about that. But where scripture talks about it, it talks about it as a mechanism that we can lean on to persist. The warning to not fall away is a warning to you to not fall away. So don't do it and persist by God's grace on the sure foundation of what God has done for you in the cross that you might actually inherit internal life. Yeah? It's a bit of a mind twist, but God's infinitely more wise than we are. Uh, and that's comforting as well. Yeah. So let me conclude. I'll just, I've got some concluding statements. Um, and then if you've got questions, put them on your sticky note. Yeah. In conclusion, where some want to try and exclude works from assurance, um, the scripture encourages to the contrary, right? 2 Peter 1, Hebrews 10, they make it really clear that Christians are to live lives in line with the objective truths of the gospel while ensuring they continue to walk in the spirit in obedience to Jesus. Yeah? Christian assurance is founded on the person and work of Jesus Christ in the gospel, God's promises in him, and we cling to that by the grace that we receive by faith. Yeah? Christians can and must continue to look for evidence of God's work in their lives, the fruit of the Spirit. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit continues to testify to our spirit that we are children of God. We are participants with Christ by the Spirit. And as we live and act in line with God's will and purpose, we are enabled by him to persevere. And we can be sure of the future glory that awaits us as co-heirs with Christ. Let me pray. Loving Father, we are so thankful 
for the way that you have established us on solid ground by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful that we can be confident that we will be raised with him in new creation as co-heirs in the glory that he has received from you. Father, we pray that we might bury these truths deep in our heart, that we can know that you are the grounds of our salvation alone. And we pray also that as we continue to grow as Christians, as we continue to look at our own lives, consider our practices, come to you in repentance, seek to do good, that these all might be ways that your spirit will testify to us that we are your children. God, for all of us, we pray that we might persevere, that we might cling to you, and that we might know true hope that uh, does not perish, spoil, or fade. And we look forward to that day that we will be with you in the new creation under the Lordship of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.